Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the Tin Helmet edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Jordan Jarrett Bryan, the journalist and broadcaster, and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. So, a new Premier League season is upon us. To be honest, it feels as if it's never been away. Still, it's time to raise the head above the parapet. We'll be talking top four, bottom three, shrewd signings and probable flops. Before we get into it, a public health warning. We're not biased against your team. We're merely offering honest opinion. So, working on the principle you never ask anyone to do a job you wouldn't do yourself, it's down to me to set the ball rolling. My champions... Manchester City. Yours, Jordan? Hmm. So I've gone back and forth with this one, Mike. I don't think it's as clear-cut as I think a lot of people think it is. If the season was to start, well, it is going to start this weekend. Currently, I've got Liverpool as the champions, and I know that a lot of people have gone with Manchester City, and I understand why. But the reason why I'm going with Liverpool is because of the traditional six, if you like. They're the only club with a defence They're the only team that I think have a a defence and a goalkeeper that I think is Premier League winning worthy. I know that City have signed Ake, and I like Ake. I'm not sure if you have four centre-backs, he's number two. I think he's the third one. And I think they may still sign Koulibaly. I do get the the, the talk around the fact that the intensity of how these managers, Klopp and, and Guardiola in particular, how they manage, it tends to be three-year cycles. And Liverpool might have come to the end of their three-year cycle of having two Champions League finals, a Premier League win. Emotionally, how much more will they have to go again? Compound that with the fact that Pep Guardiola is going to be angry. <laughs> I think he'll be humiliated the fact that the title was over at Christmas. He'll be looking to come back with a bang. But I'm, I just, I respect defences. And I just think when it really comes down to it, they're the only side that I can see keeping enough clean sheets to really cross the line. But I do think it'll be, it'll be a lot closer this year, for sure. Yeah, I suppose, you know, you make an important point there that we, no one really knows what we're dealing with until the end of the transfer window in early October. Aid, which side of the divide you're going to jump down on? Uh, yeah, Arsenal. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I tend to agree with Jordan, actually. I, th- I feel that, that City haven't yet addressed 
their key flaws and their weak spots. And, and, and that is in defence. There is still no new left back, unless we're going to see Nathan Ake there or, or Laporte pushed, pushed across, which I don't think will happen. They need a new left back. A Koulibaly might be a game changer for them, but but as it stands, Ake to me is probably a backup to Laporte as the left side centre half. So, and I'm still not sold on on Rodri actually, even though he had a steady first season. I think that that there are better defensive midfielders out there. So, so yeah, City haven't haven't addressed the problems. They will get a lot of clean sheets. City, I think they I think they had almost the most last year. I think they did have the most clean sheets but just not against decent opposition. You know, they can steamroll the weaker sides and not have a shot to face. But when they come up against the the better teams, there is a vulnerability there. And and it's going to take some some convincing to me anyway that, that City have, have changed their ways. Liverpool look, look the most solid team. What I will say about Liverpool is that they, they should reinvest, in my opinion. They need one more, still a name. Thiago Alcantara has been linked heavily. He is just the type of player they need, not only for his quality, but also to just make the place feel different second time around. Because to go again is tough. And I think I think that, you know, title winners have said this, to defend your crown is really hard to maintain those, those standards. I just think sometimes the arrival of one or two really good newcomers just gees everybody up and makes it feel fresh and competitive again. So, so if I'm Klopp and Liverpool... I think they have to make it a priority to sign someone, you know, someone that comes into the starting eleven between now and the end of the window. Yeah, well, that was actually, you know, probably the basis of my decision to pump for for Manchester City because, you know, I fear that Liverpool are ignoring the conventional wisdom about strengthening from a position of strength. You know, you look across sport. You know, look at Formula One is a good example. You can't have last year's car or even last month's car. It has to be a process of continual development and improvement. And it is, I think, progressively more important that, that Liverpool get Thiago. You know, looking at Liverpool, Jordan, it is that there are some you know far-reaching decisions to be made here. You've got Wijnaldum, who looks to be a bit of a semi-detached figure because of the interest in Barcelona. You've got Decision on whether to sell some of the younger players. You know, Rian Brewster's been been linked with some moves. I think about half a dozen Premier League clubs. There is still there is still a sense of flux there, isn't there? I think there is. I think there is. I, I think though their biggest the biggest question mark over Liverpool in terms of can they retain the title this year is less so much about the personnel, and it's more about the ability to go again. I think as we've seen in previous years, it's so hard to retain a Premier League title. Only Chelsea, Manchester City and United have done it. And I think retaining the title after the two years previous that they've had, I just think the question marks are, can Klopp motivate and really squeeze once again a lot? I mean, let's, let's, let's not forget, they've, they've accumulated almost 100 points in two seasons now consecutively. That's that's a really big, a big stretch. I think selling um, Wijnaldum would be a mistake, personally, but it seems like Liverpool financially don't have as much money as I think people think they have. They've got a really unusually high wage bill. I think that's playing a, a, a huge role in as to why they've not been as active in the market as, as, as they maybe would have 
have liked to have been, but also Klopp's of the mindset that, look, if I can't get the guys I want to do what I need them to do, I'd rather have what, keep what I've got rather than just buy for buying sake. But I don't think the personnel is the biggest issue. I think it's a question of can Liverpool emotionally and physically go again? Because Manchester City are going to go hard. I think Chelsea, United and Arsenal, and you know, and even, even Spurs, I think will be putting a lot more pressure on them as well. So I, I think that's the bigger question mark over Liverpool, more so than, than personnel. But I would say Van Dijk is the key, once again, just briefly. He's the only player in that Liverpool team. If he's out for two months, they're in trouble. Everybody else, I think they can get through with. If he's out for two months, they're in big trouble. Yeah, I agree with that. And I suppose we do live in an era, don't we, Aid, of, of a sort of managerial hype. And, you know, it'll begin early on Saturday, won't it, when you've got Klopp against uh, Bielsa. When you look at Klopp, you know, he's talked about taking that year off in 2024. So, you know, there is still inherent in or implicit in that the feeling that he thinks he's going to be right at the top of the game for the next two or three years. Of course, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Liverpool have been... They've been the best team in the world, haven't they? I know that Bayern Munich won the Champions League. I'd put Liverpool certainly on a par with Bayern Munich when they're when they're at full tilt. Yeah, they're an outstanding team, and and I don't see why we should be expecting them to to go backwards all of a sudden. Yes, I think they need to regenerate a bit with with one or two stellar new signings. Also, kids coming through. I do like the look of Curtis Jones. I think he he'll feature more often this season and give them something different breaking from midfield. Rian Brewster, if he doesn't go on loan and he stays, I think he could be a good backup to, to Firmino and and an and edge ahead of Origi, really, as the, as the next in line. Brewster was brilliant for Swansea, wasn't he, last year? And, and when you look at his contributions for Swansea, and I know it's the championship, but this is a kid, that the quality of his goals and the range of his goals, well, they told me that, that this kid is, has got something quite special about him. He, he can score all types of goals. So, so yeah, watch, watch out for him. I think if he sticks around, he, he could be one to make an impact. But Liverpool are going nowhere. They'll be, they'll be top two for sure. But as I said, I still think they're a better team than City. Yeah, you're offered £25 million for for Brewster tomorrow. As I said, there's a half dozen Premier League clubs who'd easily pay that. Mm. Do you accept it? No, no, not not, not for me. Well, look... I not don't, even I, with the big financial I, picture in mind? I don't see... Well, look, in, in two seasons' time, he, he could be a £100 million player. Look at look at Jadon Sancho. They made that call, didn't they? They, they? they let him go relatively cheaply to, to Borussia Dortmund, unproven, of course. Little, little like Rian Brewster and... And look what Sancho has done and look how much it's going to cost to bring him back. I'd, I'd certainly want to give him an opportunity in the first team before I sold him on. Unless, of course, Klopp's had a good look at him and he doesn't see enough and, and that he doesn't doesn't back him to make it at Liverpool. If, if that's the case, then, of course, you cash in. But 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 I don't know. The mood music I, I get with, with Rian Brewster is that, that he's part of Klopp's plans. Yeah, well, we'll all be looking for young players, won't we? I, th- I think at City, the, the most intriguing player for me at City this season might be Ferran Torres. You know, he's only 20, he's a right winger. There seems to be some promise of greater mobility and versatility. And uh, just to a hammer home my, my original point, I can't see City losing nine in the league again. Jordan, to your point about the importance of defences, Chelsea, 
I'm, to be honest, still unconvinced by that defence. You look at Chilwell, is he overpriced at 50 million? Thiago Silva, will the intensity of the Premier League be too much for someone? What do you think? I'm totally with you, Mike. I'm totally with you. I'm not convinced by that defence as it stands at the moment. I think Chilwell is a good left back. I don't think he's brilliant. I wouldn't have paid, I mean, I'm quite stingy, but I wouldn't have paid 50 million for, for Ben Chilwell. <laughs> I find it interesting that Chelsea, for me, needed two defensively minded fullbacks as opposed to going for attacking ones. So them signing Chilwell, who is a much more attacking fullback for me, was an interesting decision to make. And I don't think he's even brilliant going for it. I think he's good. I think he's got a good delivery, he gets up and down really, really well. I, I thought they needed a more defensively minded. I thought they should have gone for someone like Lucas Dinia at Everton, who I think is better than Chilwell. And they probably could have got for 10 million even more cheaper than what they pay for Chilwell. I agree with you again on Thiago. I think that he's he's no idiot. He's clearly a top, top centre-back. So even though he probably lacks pace, I think if you're an intelligent centre-back that's been been around the block, you would think that he would mitigate for, for that. But I think it's one thing planning that on paper. It's another thing when one week you've got Vardy running at you, Aubameyang running at you, Martial running at you, these quick players, Sterling running at you week in, week out. I wonder, especially how Lampard plays as well, which is very much on the front foot pushing up the pitch. I, I fear that Thiago, after the first handful of games, could really struggle as well. Yeah, so I, I agree defensively. I think Chelsea, there's question marks there. They might have to outscore uh, other teams, I think, to really have success this year. Yeah, and well, and they are well equipped to do that, aren't they? Hey, let's look at Kai Havertz, the, the latest signing. You know, he can act as a playmaker. He's a good finisher. Do you think he potentially could be one of the sensations of the season? He could be a superstar, couldn't he? Yeah, he's he's got the right profile. He's he's, he's very young and and scores goals, makes goals. Yeah, it's a terrific signing. Not cheap, of course, but but yes, he could be somebody that we're 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 putting on a real pedestal come come May. That's for sure. You never know, do you? Especially with young boys going to a different country. Learning, a, you know, a new way of life in a different city. Not everyone can can handle it as if it's nothing. So, so, so we'll, we'll see what happens off the pitch. But, but I know that Lampard's spoken about about what a good personality he is, how humble he is, down to earth. Yeah, I, I think he'll be fine. And 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 Havertz in behind Werner is a really really exciting prospect, isn't it? I think that it really does freshen up that Chelsea starting eleven. I think I think uh, those two working in tandem with the others around them. Don't forget Pulisic, don't forget Mason Mount and others. I mean, they, they are sport for choice. I think the big problem for Frank Lampard this season, actually, is going to be how does he keep all his big guns happy? Because he, he will have to leave several very talented, attack-minded players out of his team every single week. And 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 to, to pull off that juggling act and keep spirit intact isn't that easy, especially for, for a rookie coach. We know he's a good people person, but it'd be a test for him. Yeah, you know, it's a really good point, that. And and you think, Jordan, you know, we've talked about Frank Lampard's staying power, if you like, already, which seems a bit daft because he's only going into his second season. But it, it is an absolutely key year for him, isn't it? It's interesting because there's, there's a handful of, of individuals, managers and players in this league this year that I'm watching really hard. And Frank Lampard's one of them. I think that he did enough good things last season to make me think that there's a manager in there. But there were some things that I thought, hmm, not sure about that as well. But he got them top four into a cup final. So fair's fair. This year, 
unlike Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who I've made my decision, I just don't rate him. Frank Lampard, I'm watching him to see if actually he can deliver because people are talking about Chelsea finishing top four again. I think Abramovich is spending the money for a title challenge and no one's talking about that. You don't spend 200 plus million to finish top four. I think he's expecting Chelsea to push Manchester City and and Liverpool this season quite hard. And I think if he doesn't, I, I've got my dad's a Chelsea fan and I've got a tenor on, on him not finishing the season. It's, an, it's a very out there, out there bet to, to, to offer. But I, I, I think the pressure isn't top four for Frank Lampard. I think Roman Abramovich wants a title challenge. And I'm, I'm not sure if he's the guy to complete that. Yeah, good luck with that, I think, you know. Uh, um, and I suppose we still have to go back to the goalkeeping issue, don't we, Aid? You know, but also I'd just like to look at it from a slightly different perspective, if we could. You know, the, it seems that the, the goalkeeping target, well, this week's one anyway, is Edouard Mendy of Rennes. Now, five years ago, here he was, age 23, unemployed, looking for work in job centres. You know, do do we sometimes, you know, assume that footballers are widgets, you know, that they've got no feelings and we sometimes forget the importance of these human stories? No, definitely we do. Yeah, we, we see them as commodities, but they're people and, and uh, it's an amazing story, isn't it? And and, and what this story tells you, and, it, and it's, it should be a reminder to everyone really, is the fine margins in the pro game, okay? Most professional footballers are really good in their respective positions. There's not a great deal in terms of, of ability and technique between them, but but little bits of luck here and there, being at the right place at the right time and having the right manager and grabbing the opportunity when it comes around makes makes all the difference. And and it didn't happen for him in, in his, his early 20s. But what, what credit to, to, to Mendy to, to, to bounce back and to, to have the strength of character not, not to give in on his dream. And, and yeah, look, he's, he's proven a lot of people wrong, hasn't he? In France, no doubt. And and look, in, in light of what we've just been discussing with Chelsea and a possible title challenge, he'd be he'd be crazy not to jump at the opportunity. I just feel in, until that signing is wrapped up, though, there's a potential issue in the early weeks of the season for Chelsea because Kepper and uh, Kepper in particular, Caballero would just be happy to get a game. But, but if Kepper plays... He's looking over his shoulder. He's thinking, "Is this guy coming in or not?" You've got a, you've got a, a goalkeeper that that's mine might not be on the on the job, and he might not be too happy. So, so that's something to look out for. But um, yeah, great great character, clearly, Edward Mendy. And yeah, if if he does come, we wish him well. Yeah, with Kepper, you're going to have a couple of million eyes boring into the back of his head, isn't he? Whenever he plays, so it's uh, going to be a huge test for him. Let's look at United, but I just want to state start with looking at another element of of this sort of preview. Donny van der Beek, he's actually my choice of of signing of the season. I think it's a brilliant signing. He's made for the league. He's got everything for me, and I think he could fit into that midfield. What about you, Jordan? Who do you think will be the the signing of the season? Um, So if you allow me, I've got two, and I'll make it very brief. Um, Yeah, go for it, mate. I've got, first of all, Crystal Palace, Everici Eze. I think that's a great bit of business for Crystal Palace. I think he feels like a very Crystal Palace-type player. And it wouldn't surprise me, this is another big call, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see a Wan-Bissaka-type situation where next year he's picked up by a bigger club for a bigger fee. I, I think he will do really really, really well this season. And I'm, I'm expecting big things for him. I think that Roy Hodgson, to some people's surprise, I think we'll, we'll get a lot out of him. And I think the link-up 
between himself and Zaha on the other wing. And I think Batshuayi is coming in as well. I think he'll be supplying a lot of, of creativity for those front men. And the other bit of business I thought was really good as well, which was done very early, was Adam Lallana to Brighton. I thought that was a very shrewd bit of business. I think he's been unlucky with injuries, but if you look at the last six months to 12 months of his time at Liverpool, he wasn't actually not getting played because he was injured. He was just not getting played because he just couldn't get in the team. So his injury record, I think, has been a little bit overinflated in terms of how problematic it is. But I think at that level, I think he'll offer a lot to Brighton under Graham Potter, who wants to play that kind of more attacking, flair-type football. So those are two bits of business for me done that I thought those are my two signings of the summer so far. Mm, interesting, interesting. What do you think, uh, Aid? Well, yeah, I, li- I, li- I like both of those guys. Uh, Eze is a really exciting player. I'd love to see him tear it up in the Premier League. And I think it should, it should make Crystal Palace a bit more a bit more exciting to watch. You just worry with Palace. Have they got enough to to sort of compete in matches and how much how much service will he get? A lot of pressure, I think, on Eze to, to shine. Van der Beek is a good is a good call. I think I think he's got potential, but those that Ajax generation haven't been quite as good, have they? Post Ajax, I mean, you look at Delict, that you've a good but not amazing De Jong as well at, at Barca. So sort of a watch this space, I, I guess. And and where does he fit in with in a midfield that contains Pogba and Fernandez? So so that is a is a major question mark on Van der Beek. I think. West Brom have got a really good signing in Grady Diangana. I can't believe West Ham let him go. Actually, I think he would he would have been much better value than than Felipe Anderson or, or Lanzini moving forwards. I think they're mad to let him go, and and I can see him shining, albeit at a slightly lower level. But probably my sign my signing of the season is going to be Werner because I just think he's a goal machine, and and the way that Chelsea create chances. That's not going to be a problem. You've got Hakim Ziyech as well, who I didn't mention, and Pulisic probably on the flanks with Havertz in behind him. I, I cannot, given the quality of this guy's finishing, his pace, the runs he makes, brilliant, by the way, at running in beyond the fences. So on the road, on the counter, Chelsea will have a new threat. I can't see him failing to score at least 20 goals. In fact, I think he's going to score 25 Timo Werner. So, yeah, I, I think he's my signing of the season. Yeah. Well, let's go back to United, if we could, Jordan. Do they need, which seems they do need, one more marquee signing at least? I'll throw a name at you and a reputation and a price tag. Gareth Bale. Yeah, I knew you would. <laughs> uh, are, are they, United and maybe others, missing a trick here? Because we're told that Real Madrid will, will stump up at least half of his wages. Uh, which means they only got to rob ten banks rather than thirty. Um, uh, you know, if you if so, if you look if you look at uh, him, you're getting a player of huge stature, great experience. Okay, you maybe doubt the ambition, but. I think getting back into the Premier League, I think it'd do brilliantly. I'm, I'm being told by a few people that United are seriously looking at that deal if the Sancho deal completely dies. I don't think it would be the worst bit of business. Um, forgive me, uh, Man United, their kit supplier, uh, is Adidas? They're still Adidas, aren't they? It's Adidas that mm. makes their kits. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if some kind of deal is struck between United and Adidas to try and get the funds together to make that deal happen. I think it would. Be, I think it's the marquee signing that I think would t- make me take United a bit more seriously as well. I think Bale wants to leave. I think he will leave this summer, and I think there's only two or three clubs that 
he could possibly go to. Wherever he does go to, he's going to have to take some kind of a hit on his wages because it's, no one can pay that. Nobody can pay that, 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 that salary. So I think he'd have to accept if he wants to play football next season or this season coming in, he's going to have to take a wage reduction of some form. And I think United is a, is a club where there's a, there's a gap for him to play in. They can financially afford most of what I think he will want. And I think he wants to play. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that deal does end up happening. Yeah, when we look at the football these days, eh, we we you know we also have to make sort of character judgments, don't we? Yeah. At United, uh, Harry Maguire, obviously he's going through the legal process, which is now you know in abeyance, so we can't really comment too much about that. But the instant that he went through, you know, he's protested his innocence, but. You know, are there any question marks about him now? Do, you know, what sort of strain will he be under to justify himself in the next few months? Um, I think he'll be all right, Harry. I think he's a big boy physically, and and in terms of his um, his mentality, I don't think he'll let it affect him. Footballers are pretty thick skinned. Well, not all of them. You know, some are sensitive to criticism, but but in general, you have to be you have to be pretty tough mentally to make it because there are so many challenges along the way. And and being out on the pitch is the best place for footballers to be, especially those that, that have got problems outside of the game. So, so no, I think he'll be he'll love being back on the pitch. And I don't I don't think there'll be an issue there. Obviously there's no crowds inside the stadium, so he's not going to get the flack, is he, from from visiting fans. So no, I think in his case he'll be fine. And the same applies to to Mason Greenwood, who who's been given, you know, a real slap on the wrist here and a little little wake-up call that, you know, you have to live properly. And there have been one or two other stories about his, about his lifestyle come out in, in the past few days as well. This is what happens when you're when you're a brilliant young footballer that, that isn't squeaky clean potentially off the pitch, then, then, then these stories will emerge and you've got to deal with that. So uh, I would imagine that, that Sir Alex Ferguson actually might might just step out of the shadows behind the scene <laughs> and uh, take Harry to one side for a chat. And then, and then once he's done with H, he'll, he'll, he'll pull Mason and they'll have a little chin wag and he'll remind him of his responsibilities and the, and the badge that he's wearing. There's no better person than Fergie to get those two in line. Can I, can I just say, sorry to cut in there, can I just say that I just don't understand the hype on the pitch I'm talking here now around Harry Maguire. I just don't see the player that everyone else sees. I think he's a good centre-back, but I think that people talk about he's dominant in the air. I can't think of a defender so big that gets dominated more in the air than Harry Maguire. People talk about his ability to bring the ball out from the back. I think that's a little bit overrated. He's not bad on the ball. I don't think he's brilliant. And his pace. I think that when you put those three things together, he's not as dominant as he should be in the air. He's not very quick. And his ball, um, his, his ability on the ball, I think he's good. It's not amazing. I think, in fact, when this is the world record centre-back um, in, in, in football, I just don't see what everyone else sees. I think he will be OK. I think he'll come through this OK. I just don't see what everyone else sees. And I, maybe it's no. just me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he, yeah, yeah he, the, the, the fee was, was, was higher than what he was worth. But, but look, I think he's, he's still probably their best centre-half. The, by the way, they definitely, you know, definitely need another wheel up top, whether it's Bale or Sancho, because the three, you can't rely on those three forever. Daniel James is, is not at the same level, is he? So I do think they need a game changer. One of those four off the bench, and 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 what's going to happen in goal? That might destabilize Manchester United, destabilize Manchester United in the short term, because Henderson or De Gea, whichever one doesn't play, is going to be seriously miffed 
and and that's a problem. So yeah, Ollie's got got a challenge on his hand there. A big 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 call to make. Yeah, watch this space on that one. I think you know I, I'd be tempted to go for Henderson personally, but uh, we shall see how that one pans out. Can I go back, uh, Jordan, to the the Greenwood and Phil Foden issue? You know they're both facing personal or pivotal personal challenges here. Do you think they've got the mental strength to deal with, you know, the inevitable criticism and derision and, as Aid said, you know, the, the scrutiny that they're going to be under? I don't know, Mike. I don't know for two reasons. One, because I, I don't know them, but I also don't... They've not been around long enough for me to have kind of built up any kind of idea or perception about their character, even from afar. So I don't know if, if I can ask that question in terms of whether they are built to come through this particular period. But I do know that they have, in definitely in the shape of Pep Guardiola, and to be fair, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, two managers that will support them. They'll definitely support them, they'll get around them, they'll protect them, and they'll make them fall in line. I think the, the issue regarding discipline in the England camp is something that Southgate has to really slap down on ASAP, because it's not been a good couple of weeks for England in terms of disciplinary um, action off the field, if you include Maguire as well. I think that he has to really reassert his authority and make that distinction between, yep, I brought you guys together, you're all young guys that I've known from the under 21s, I love you all, I'm, you know, you've got a voice, this is great, but also I'm your boss and this is England. I think that is the issue because I don't think that those those players, Greenwood and Foden, definitely uh, Foden, I don't think he does that if he's away with Manchester City. And I think because he knows that Guardiola won't have it. So I, 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 whether they will come through or not, I can't, I can't with any authority really answer that question. But I think going back to their clubs now, it's probably the best thing at this time now for them. Just to kind of take them out the limelight for a couple of weeks, you know, get the season underway and it'll be forgotten about. Yeah, give a footballer an inch and he'll take a mile. Is that about right, Aid? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, look, you've got to treat treat footballers like adults, but every now and again, you know, they, some will let you down. It's as simple as that. Yeah. What about what about Southgate in your eyes? You know, it, you know, he is by common consent a really empathetic manager. He's an excellent leader. What about a tactician? Is he flawed? Gareth Southgate is a wonderful figurehead but a very poor tactician, in my opinion. When was the last time he made an in-game decision that transformed the team? When did, you know, when, when, has he, when has he come up with a real master plan that we've all been wowed by? And I just don't remember any. He, I think he had a, he's a really bad week with, with the Nations League, with the team selections, very imbalanced, particularly on the left-hand side. And he, some of the substitutions, I thought were... Were either too late or, or odd. Grealish, he didn't really put in in his best position when he came on. Yeah, he just, I just, yeah, I just think he's distinctly average when it comes to the tactical approach. He's the best figurehead we could possibly have. A great leader. He'd, he'd make, you know, he'd probably be a great politician or you know, prime minister or whatever. But but as a football manager, I don't I don't know if he's good enough to lead us lead us to glory. I just I just Honestly, at my hand on heart, I feel that with this group of players, we have a potential to win the Euros, to to win a World Cup with the right with the right man in the technical area, and just don't know. And, that, and that's why I said this. I said this at the time when when the FA handed him a new contract. I said this is this is daft because in the big games when we've come up against anyone half decent, we we have been 
pretty average. And tactically, we've been outclassed or he's been outclassed by his opposite number. And nothing I saw, saw this week, you know, shows me that, that he's got better. And, and that's, uh, just to throw a curveball in there, Mike, as well, I think it's a really good point that Aid makes there. I wouldn't be surprised if Maurizio Pochettino decides to wait 12 months and see how England do at next year's Euros, because I think he may be thinking, hmm, with that group of players, some of whom I already know, I wonder what I could do with that group of players going forward. Now, he's on a long-term contract, so the likelihood is that he won't be sacked anytime soon, unless he bombs at the Euros next year, which effectively is a home Euros. But I just wonder if Pochettino will be lurking in the background and waiting 12 months because the buying job came up, they didn't buy it. The, um, United didn't pull the trigger on Solskjaer for him. Arsenal didn't move for him. Juventus didn't go for him. So some big jobs came up while he was at home twiddling his farm. They didn't move for him. So I just wonder if he will, be, you know, just as, as a curveball, if he's mm. thinking, <laughs> wait 12 months and let's see if that job comes up. The one thing <laughs> I, that I would say, though, uh, there, Jordan, is that, you know, international management is a distinctive job and it's a very frustrating job. It's got its inherent frustrations. You know, it's not your team. It, you know, it's your group in inverted commas. But I don't think that someone like Pochettino, who, if you look through his career, he has very, very strong emotional bonds with his players, and those bonds are renewed and restructured on a daily basis. I think it. I think the job would drive him mental. To be perfectly <laughs> You're honest, probably right. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Southgate, he's got a wonderful backroom team, and he's got real experts in the field, and no team will go into any match better prepared than England. I've got no doubts about it. his work ethic. is is amazing. It's just. Once that whistle blows, Mike, when that whistle blows, when he's standing there on his own and he is the guy that has to make the decisions, I'm not seeing a great deal of dynamism. It's as simple as that. OK, well, let's talk about Arsenal. We've held you back for nearly half an hour. Uh -oh. so uh, <laughs> Can they make the top four? I, I have to say, I think they're, they're in the close but no cigar position fifth. But uh, what do you think? Well, with the current squad, um, and I've heard Jordan's got some, got some excellent <laughs> views on this. <laughs> I was actually interviewed on the radio uh, on, the, on the same station that, the, that you were for, Jordan, and, and they referenced your quotes as, as part of the question to me. So that, that's how strong they were. <laughs> um, personally, um, I think the current squad can get fourth, but would probably be underdogs to get there. I think they're, they're a fourth or fifth team. United would probably be the, the, the team they're in competition with. If they get the two players they've been most strongly linked with, Thomas Partey and Hussein Awa, box-to-box guy, that Awa, that's fantastic, absolutely perfect. Partey, strong, powerful, mobile defensive midfielder. They're the two positions they need. Get those two guys, and and I think they will get top four. So so it, it's a case of will the club back back the manager and find a way to to get the right recruits in because you can only work with what you've got available to you. If Arteta was in charge of Chelsea or Manchester United, I'm telling you now they would be third easily, easily third, much closer to. To, to Liverpool and City than they would be under Lampard and Solskjaer, in my opinion. I think he's the better coach, but but he hasn't right now got quite got the squad. In central midfield, Arsenal are light, and that, that needs addressing quickly. 
Over to you, Mr. <laughs> Jarrett Bryan. I mean, I'm going to probably literally repeat what, what Adrian said. I, I've, I've, <laughs> I've got Arsenal just in my top four. So full disclosure, first of all, for listeners, I'm an Arsenal fan. So we'll get the whole, oh, yeah, he would say that out of the way. I'm the most harshest Arsenal fan you'll ever meet. So I've got to, I, I look at this without emotion. I think that for the, I, I've got Arsenal just in my top four with a, cup, with a caveat. If they can get Thomas Partey in that squad, I think just him alone, I think makes them top four contenders. And I think the deal will get done. I think it will get done. It's not done cut right now. So right now, I think it's a battle between them and United for that fourth spot. But I'm going on the basis that I think the Thomas Partey deal will get done. I also think that although United probably and definitely Chelsea have better squads than Arsenal, I think Mikel Arteta is the better manager of the three. I really, and people say, oh, it's only six months he's been in charge. It's, you know, how can you make that decision based off of a very short window? But in that short window, I've seen enough. I've seen enough to show me that this manager can do some great things. I've seen some flaws. I've seen there's some question marks over Mikel Arteta completely. But I've seen enough to make me believe that with, some, with a couple of better players, he can push Solskjaer and Lampard for a top four spot. And I believe that those, those, those guys will come in. So I'm saying Arsenal top four with the slight caveat that those midfielders, or even Thomas Partey alone, has to be introduced. OK, what about surprise sides this season, Aid? Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd like to look at Southampton. OK, probably dependent on Danny Ings duplicating last season's form. And by the way, why did he not get more than 22 minutes for England? Hassan Huttle seems to be a long-term sort of project manager. I'm interested to see how Ghana's uh, Mohamed uh, Salisu fares in the middle of their defence. They look actually to be quite well set. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I could easily pick Southampton as, as a surprise team as well, but I wouldn't be that surprised if if you, if, the, if you know what I mean. They were they were top six in terms of form across the last ten games of the season. Post lockdown, they were they were excellent, and actually prior to that, they were they were on the rise as well. I think Hassan was excellent. I like the, the the style of play, and yeah, I do see them as a, as a top half side. So yeah, I could I could take a flight to to Saints Island with you, Mike. I'd probably say Leeds as a surprise team. I don't I don't know how big a surprise that would be, but I just feel that they they can they can finish in the middle somewhere, which which I think would be a good achievement on their on their first campaign back in the Premier League. They're going to be seriously hard to play against. Because Bielsa is he, he get the movement when they've got possession of the ball is very sophisticated. They're unbelievably fit, and 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 they were pretty well organised defensively. If they could finish, they would have walked the championship, you know, pre-lockdown. Um, if if they could convert all their chances, so that's the one stumbling block. But I, I don't think they're going to make life easy for anyone this season. And they can they can do a Sheffield United, so to speak, and and, and rattle a few cages. I think. Well, if you're looking for goals, you know, there's a lot on Rodrigo. I think they've spent 30 million, which seems a lot to me for a forward who's nearly 30, 10 years on from his playing for Bolton. What do you think about Leeds and, and anyone, any other runners and riders in this surprise side category? And then, so the Leeds thing, I'm so bored of the whole Leeds loving. It's really just oh, like the, doing By the way, I thought one of the most specious bunches of nonsense that, I, that I've ever read was all about, yes, this season, Leeds are going to be everyone's favourite second oh, team. Oh, my, do me a favour. Do me a favour. It's driving me crazy. Um, I'm excited I'm, I'm excited about Bielster in the league. That I'm excited about. But the whole Leeds is everyone's second club. No, they're not. 
No, they're not at all. That's just a blatant lie. It's just rubbish. I think Leeds will do okay because I think Leeds will try to win games. I think a lot of teams that come up they can choose the games they try to win, whereas I think Bielsa will try to beat everybody. They'll take a few batterings. They will take a few beatings, but I think that their attitude to try and win more games, win as many games as they can, will, will accumulate enough points for them to be, I would say, hovering around mid-table. I think in terms of a couple of surprises, I do like Hasan Hootsu on Southampton, so that's, that's not a bad shout at all. I'm going the other way if I can break the rules a little bit. I've got Wolves finishing in the bottom eight, but winning the cup. I think Wolves are going to win the FA Cup, but I think their league form will drastically be affected. And Leicester as well. I think Leicester are going to finish a few places below where they finished last season. I can see Leicester dropping off a little bit and finishing in the top 10, which is not a bad season, but I think um, where they've been last year, I can see Leicester dropping four or five places as well. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to look out for Sheffield United. I think their recruitment's been really good. And I think Ethan Ampadu will probably end up being one of the best loans of the season. Do you agree with that, Aid? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Ethan Ampadu. It's not might not be great news for for John Egan because for me Ethan Ampadu is made to play in the middle of a back three to be the sweeper guy. He's a real he's a natural leader, great positioning, loves to spray spray the ball around. That's that's competition for his place, no doubt about it. But he can also play in the Ollie Ollie Norwood role in midfield at the base as well. Ampadu, so yeah, really smart piece of business. The, the issue. I would have with it is is how long is it going to take him to get into the team because Wilder doesn't doesn't like to make too many changes does he so it'll be fascinating to see see how much football he gets but I have a feeling once he does play he'll prove quite hard to drop Mike. Yeah well let's look at the flop of the season uh, shall we I know this is where we're going to get some fearful amount of stick from someone I'm sure okay I'll, I'll lead it James Rodriguez at Everton I think there's a player Who's just lost his mojo? I, you know, someone who came through at the World Cup, but then has meandered around in sort of a lovely you know, velvet cushion world. Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, never not really done much. I can't see him working in the Premier League. Am I being harsh? I don't know. I mean, he's 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 a player in decline, or he has been, hasn't he? So I can absolutely see why, but but. But he has got talent, and 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 there are some bang average defenses in the Premier League <laughs> that I think he could he could exploit, and and I think I think he have some good moments. So he'll score some some good goals this season, I'm sure. But also, I think he'll be anonymous in 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 a lot of contests too. So now I I understand completely where you're coming from, but I think for the money that we're talking, you know, it's not a huge fee for him. I don't believe it's worth a try. It is worth a try because Everton do are desperate, aren't they, to get to that next level? And 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 if Hamas is a, is a real success, then they'll be able to attract younger, equally gifted players as him moving forward. So um, so yeah, now I see why Ancelotti went for him. Okay, so who's your flop then? Um, it would probably, I don't see that many flops. I've looked I've looked at all the all the ins and not seeing any obvious disasters. There's not anyone I think. Why have they signed him? I think Ben Chilwell will prove to be overinflated at, at 50 million. He, for me, he plays it too safe inside the final third. I think Marcus Alonso is is actually much better than him 
going forward. But as a defender, I think Chilwell is marginally better than Alonso. But Alonso, in my mind, is a four out of ten defender. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not elevating Chilwell to be to be top class <laughs> in that aspect of his game. I just think that that in the Champions League, in the big games, Chilwell might get found out. And I'm telling you now, Leicester fans who saw him every week weren't that disappointed that they that they sold him, especially for the for the fee. So I think he might be a flop. The other one's Ryan Fraser, but I I, I just feel Ryan Fraser had one great season for Bournemouth where where he created tons of chances, but I don't know. He, 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 he was poor last season. Attitude, I didn't like his attitude. And, and, and from what I've read of him lately where he's, he said, look, you know, I, I think I would have kept Bournemouth up. Yet there was still no remorse. I just thought that was a bit arrogant. I'm, not, I'm just not a Ryan Fraser fan, and I, and I don't think that he will he will do particularly well at Newcastle. Yeah, I suppose you can never, though, Jordan. Can you? You can never underestimate Newcastle's ability to hit the self destruct button. You know, they in principle they've got some really good signings this week. You know, they've got guaranteed service probably to Callum Wilson, but then you've got Steve Bruce talking up Joe Linton. Which, which which tells me that, you know, that's a weird mistake. But also you've got this absolutely ongoing bore fest that is Newcastle United stroke Mark Ashley against the Premier League. I just think the whole, let's just, you know, the, the takeover's done. You know, let's forget about it. Can I just it. say on that? I'm Because st- I, I write tactical columns for the Premier League. Can I just say, I think it's going back about two months now. Every time they tweet out one of my pieces, a link to it with, with my Twitter handle in it, my timeline is completely swamped still by new bitter Newcastle fans <laughs> accusing the Premier League and Richard Masters of of various things. It is bore, it's so boring. Just get over it, lads. Um, I mean, I, I first of all, I agree with the Rodriguez uh, shout in terms of. I think it's a great get for Everton because he is a huge profile winning uh, central midfielder that everybody knows about. But I've never been convinced about him, even at that World Cup where he shined. I thought his performances were a little bit, again, inflated. I thought he was very good. I don't think he was a player of the tournament. But 20 million, as, as Adrian is saying there, if, even if it doesn't work out, that's not the worst business if, if it flops. I also read that he's like the eighth highest, uh, got the eighth highest social media following of any athlete on the planet. Something crazy like that. So um, he's obviously got a huge, there's a, there's a big marketing thing there as well. But a little bit like Adrian as well, I, I, there were no obvious flops for me but I actually went to Newcastle as well for my what my one I went for the other one Callum Wilson because I like Callum Wilson I just wonder if the injury record that he's had for the last three or four years would I spend 20 million on him being my goal-getting Marquis striker in the summer and banking everything on him getting the 15 goals I think he'll need to really make Newcastle comfortable I like him I think he will score some goals I just think with 20 million, you could have maybe signed. There's, there's better out there that I think are less injury ravished than Callum Wilson. I, I fear that signing may not be the signing that um, I think a lot of people think it will be. So I'd probably go for Callum Wilson. But I'm clutching. There's not there's not any obvious. There's no there's not a lot of obvious like bombs that I can I can see going for the league. Okay, well let's let's continue to burn up our timelines then. Relegation. I'll give you my three if you like with a one-line explanation for each. West Ham, inherently unstable. Who's running that club? Certainly not David Moyes by the look of things. Crystal Palace, who scores the goals, frankly? that's that. I begin and end with that. And Fulham, a simple case of not enough quality. Do you guys agree? 
Um, you got first, Adrian. Uh, yeah, go on then. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think Fulham. I think Fulham will, will go down. I, I, I'm a little bit. I was. I'm with Jordan to be honest on on Scott Parker. I thought he he came across brilliantly. By the way, when they when they did get promoted, and he sort of really went up in my estimation. You That's see, a great. That was a great interview on pitch, it, wasn't it? It was a wonderful interview, and he, he, his personality and character shone through. But but as a manager, I think there were question marks about about him in the in the in the championship last season. West Bromwich Albion, I think, will be in trouble. I'm not sure not sure they're quite good enough. And be attack minded, much more attack minded they, than they were previously as a Premier League side. But I, I just worry about them defensively. Yeah, I just think that those two might not might not have enough. And and then I'm torn. Torn between Palace and, and Villa. I'm going to go with, with Villa, actually. I, I think they were quite fortunate in the end to, to survive last season. And even though they're, they're flexing their muscles, aren't they, in the transfer market, I'm not sure that, that what they've brought in is enough as yet. Matty Cash, good player from the Championship. Ollie Watkins, very, very good player in the Championship, but but both unproven at the highest level. I'm not not convinced they'll there'll be game changes for Aston Villa. And again, it puts a lot of pressure on Grealish. So, so yeah, I'm going to go for, for Villa, West Brom and Fulham to go down. What about you, Jordan? This is going to be quite boring, actually, because I'm going with the same three. I, I think um, one of the one of the people I mentioned earlier on about I'm watching really hard this year is Scott Parker. I don't want to write him off, but I'm not convinced he's as good as people are talking him up to be as well. And Fulham are just a bit like West Brom. I just don't see enough intent for them to try and stay in this league in terms of the business they've done. I will say, though, I think this is the hardest year for a promoted team um, to the Premier League to do well in the Premier League because with the financial constraints that the lockdown has brought, I thought this is the, this is the hardest summer for any promoted team to really spend the money to try and add the quality to stay in the league. So I'll, I'll, I'll add that caveat in. But I just think a lot of West Brom and Fulham, I'm just not, I'm looking through their squads and I'm just not seeing enough quality for them to for them to really make an impact to stay in this league. And then I was torn between Villa and I think it was Newcastle, I was batting between. But I've gone towards Villa. I'm just not... I'm just not sure if there's still enough quality there. If they sign Martinez from Arsenal, which I know they're trying to do, I think that could be a really good get for them and could massively help them. I'm going to probably lean towards Villa, though, because I think that currently I just don't see enough quality in their team. I did have Palace in my bottom three until about a week or two ago, but I think with Eze and Batshuayi coming in, I think there is enough. there are enough goals there to keep them at least in the league. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going Villa, Fulham and, and West Brom. Good. Well, just one final opinion off the both of you, if I may, then. Your, your thought for the day. Let's begin with you, please, eh? Um, I just wanted to praise um, Victor Moses, actually. I don't know if it's a story that, that, that people have seen, um, but we know that Wigan Athletic are in dire straits. Absolute disgrace what's happened to them. You know, had the, the rug pulled from beneath them. And they're having to start again, aren't they? You know, it's been a huge fire sale. And the administrators, they, they claim that they're interested parties, but but basically they're still crowdfunding to, to save the club, which is which is awful situation. But yeah, Victor Moses, he put in an, an anonymous donation. He didn't want the publicity. Um, he put in 20 grand, which I thought was an absolutely fantastic gesture. Of course, he, he played for them. For a, for a couple of seasons and and yeah, I just thought that was brilliant. They, they've outed him. They said that they, <laughs> that they he deserves to be praised, which is what I'm doing, I guess. But um, yeah, well well played, Victor Moses, and it and it shows you, doesn't it, that that football is 
do care, or some do, when they move on. I also read that, that Roberto Martinez, Rhys James and, and James McLean have also chipped in with, with contributions. So, so yeah, once a footballer represents you, they, they do have that affinity. And look, Victor's put his money there as well to help them. So well done him. Yeah, well said, Aid. well said. Jordan? Um, mine's a brief one. I'm not completely convinced that the season will finish. I think there's a very slim chance that the season doesn't finish. I'm not convinced that next summer's Olympics, Paralympics and Euros will definitely happen. And I wonder then what would be the future for the next few years for football if this season doesn't finish and if the Euros don't happen. I think the backlog calendar wise, I think leading up to the World Cup, I think would just be absolutely horrific. I think then if there's teams in the lower leagues that we know about, they're in trouble at the moment with another lockdown and with, you know, the news as the time of recording this podcast, we know about the, there's, there's a, not a, not a second lockdown coming in, but it's not looking good in terms of the numbers on the rise and how that may impact football for the next kind of couple of months. So it's, it's probably unlikely, but I'm not totally convinced that the season will finish. And I just wonder what the, what the blowback would be for football if it doesn't. We're hearing about businesses talking about if there's a second lockdown, they wouldn't be able to, to survive. And I think that football in, at some levels, A, in some levels would be the same. But also I just think for the next few years, looking forward, how do we get, if there isn't a finish to the season and there's no Euros, then do we just scrap the Euros or do we push it back another year? How, how do we then move forward? I'm quite interested to see if that should happen. Yeah, it's worrying times, worrying times. And, you know, I think if you look at it logically, which is you know not always the, the case in football, is it? But I can see several clubs just not finishing the season, irrespective of what goes on on a big picture level. For me, you know, I'll go back to another world and another time when I was a ridiculously young reporter loaned to the Daily Mail by the agency that I worked for in Fleet Street. They wanted me to research what they reckon was the scandal of overpriced football shirts. The year, dear listener, was 1980. Fast forward 40 years and the cost of a shirt, like the hype, has soared. They're sold as fashion items with all the verbal incontinence the marketing men can muster. £100 for a club shirt? An England kit that can run to 195 quid? Look, I know clubs are facing a financial crisis, but by any standards, that's obscene. It's a shameful ritual that takes place every season. It holds parents to ransom and cheapens the concept of supporting a club or a national team. Agree or disagree, please let me know. And in the meantime, thanks to Adrian and Jordan, and as ever, to you for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.